Hola, hola. Hi, everybody. Rodrigo Duran with Real City Ambassadors here today. Uh, I have a special guest for you all. She is a child of proud immigrants here in San Francisco. She has taken up numerous leadership roles throughout her life. Some to highlight uh, right now is she is the former president of the San Francisco Planning Commission. She was the former executive director of Jamestown Community Center. Shout out to Jamestown. Uh, she is currently running for supervisor in District 7. We actually cross paths, um, not in the nonprofit field, not in community organizing or politics, but really in an Afro-Brazilian dance rehearsal at the Mission Cultural Center. And that's really where uh, we got to know each other. And here we are today, and I introduce you all to the one and only, Mirna Mergal. Hi, Rodrigo. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. I know you're really busy. That's an understatement. And we'll get to that on you know what you're doing right now, running as uh, for supervisor in District 7. But I really want to take this time to not only uh, highlight you, but to kind of see the the world of the Bay Area through your lenses, you know, because I, I know that you're a huge advocate of uh, letting people tell their stories, you know, and there's power to it. So I, I want to empower you and thank you for letting me uh, empower you through this platform, The Real City Ambassador. So introduce yourself, let people know, quien es Mirna Melgar, who is Mirna? Uh, thanks, Rodrigo, thanks for having me and taking the time to, to do this. I um, am a mother of three mm. girls uh, that I've raised here in District 7. They've all gone to school here. Um, they are like my biggest life project. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, my husband makes fun of me because I love San Francisco. I'm always like, yay, San Francisco booster, you know, yeah. kind of like you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, the city has done so much for me and my family. You know, I'm, I'm running because of that and because um, I just love it here and I want to keep it going, you know, and also mm -hmm. pay back, you know, what the city has given me. Um, yeah, you've yes, you know, when I think of, of you, you know, you, you're always, uh, you know, extending yourself to not only from where I know you in the mission, but really all over San Francisco. And we're going to talk about that. But why do you represent the Bay? Or why do you represent San Francisco so hard? Tell us about you, like your upbringing, what, how, how you came to to join our San Francisco family. So I was born in El Salvador, mm. uh, and my family came here in the 80s during the Civil War, and I was 12 years old. I was in middle school uh, when mm. that happened. Um, but my family had San Francisco roots on both sides uh, of my family, on my mom's side and on my dad's side. And we ended up here because we had family. It was one of those things that, you know, uh, my parents were divorced when I was little. Um, and my mom was politically involved. She was a commander of the FMLN and she went underground when I was a kid. You know, it was wow. the 70s in El Salvador. It was a time of revolution and, um, you know, all of that stuff. And so, you know, we were raised by my dad's family and um, there was an assassination attempt on my dad's life. Uh, and uh, within two weeks of that happening, we ended up leaving, leaving everything. And like many Salvadoreños ended up in San Francisco. Um, 
And, you know, the city was good to us. I have uh, two sisters from, you know, my, my mom, my stepmom and my dad. Uh, we all went to school here. We all uh, had families and set roots. So I'm like the typical San Franciscan, you yeah. know, uh, my family came and we just got into it, learned English, you know, went to can school. I, can I bring it back just a little bit? Uh, going back to El Salvador, I just, for folks that maybe are not acquainted with uh, Central America, um, maybe can you just walk us through where you are from in El Salvador? So I was actually born in San Salvador. So that's like the very middle there. You right can see here. it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, but my family uh, is interesting. I'll tell you how, where San Francisco fits in. Both so fun. you see the very farthest green state uh, all the way to, yeah. So that's where my uh, mom's family is from. La um, Union. Yeah, and from the very, very top near the, the border with Honduras. And so uh -huh. my, yeah, so my grandmother was one of seven girls um, who um, her father, died when they were very young. And uh, my great grandmother sent her to the city. Uh, the big city back then was San Miguel, in, which is the next state over. Um, and she, when she was uh, 10 years old, went mm -hmm. to work for a Palestinian family in El Salvador. There's a very large Palestinian population in, Sansa, in El Salvador. The president right now is a Palestinian Christian. And so she went to work there and they taught her business. You know, and she yeah. became a businesswoman and she married my grandfather, who was not good to her. But, you know, they had six kids, including my mother. Uh, and as a businesswoman, she was able to own her own home, you know, have a level of freedom that women didn't have back then. She divorced him, which was kind of unheard of, you know, in the 40s. But um, but that's what happened is that mm. she, she was able she had a second grade education. But she mm. was able to just put every single one of her kids through university, you know, as oh. a businesswoman. Uh, and of course, they all became communists <laughs> because that's where they came from, right? Uh, so that's it, my. Mm -hmm. Are we speaking of that's her, this lady? That's, yeah, Fidelina Aguila Trejo. That's her name. Ah, yeah, she was. Yeah, she was just a force of nature, one of the wisest people I've ever met, and also one of the kindest and most generous people I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. And so she died. She, she died in uh, April of last year. Yeah. Oh. At 103. Wow. Yeah. Those genes run strong. Yeah. <laughs> Look I at hope. you. And I want to share another photo. Um, speaking of, uh, is this the other side of your family? So that's or? the other side of my family. So mm -hmm. this is my grandfather. So my dad's father. His mm. name uh, was Guillermo Melgar Oppenheimer. Mm. And so my uh, my dad's people were Jewish immigrants to El Salvador uh, from Germany. And oh. uh, my grandfather's entire family uh, actually died in the Holocaust, most of them at Auschwitz. Um, they were from a small town uh, named um, Bad Kuni in Western Germany um, mm -hmm. that um, had a large Jewish population that was that completely disappeared in 1937, you know, during Kristallnacht. And so my grandfather's father, so my great grandfather had already left. He was one of 12 children of a rabbi and he had an import export business between San Francisco and El Salvador. And that's how oh. we ended up there because he, wow. you know there was a there is just like there's a Palestinian population, there was also a Jewish population in El Salvador of mostly merchants. And so he had this import export business um, and brought his brothers 
you know, and the family business just kind of grew. But that's how that what, site ended up there. What year? So I have two questions. What year yeah. was that that um, he uh, began that business again? So this would have been uh, in 1900. Nineteen hundred. My yeah. second question is, how do you know all this history? Because I, I I'm I'm infatuated by history, yeah. and this is the reason why I decided to do Real City Ambassadors. Um, ¿Cómo sabes todo eso? How do you know? So, uh, part of it is family stories, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but because also I am a geek, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know people tell me stuff, and I got to trust but verify. You know, I've done a lot of research on my own. Uh -huh. um, and because, you know, my, my grandfather, his story was so painful, you know, with, with losing his family in the Holocaust, I've done a lot of research, like a lot of Jewish people do, you know, people who have that family lost, um, to find, to see if there were any survivors, you know, mostly I wanted to connect with other people, which I have. <laughs> so I have cousins, you know, all over the world uh, from, from that side of the family who, you know, there were survivors. There was a couple of cousins who survived. Uh, one one um, of my um, grandfather's first cousins ended up in Santa Rosa. She uh, was a survivor of Auschwitz and then, you know, was able to have kids of her own uh, here in America. So, yeah. um, you know. I think we all sort of want to connect to our roots, you know, and, and exactly. figure out where people, people's yeah. stories are from. I, I did a, so it was painful to my grandfather, you know, well, and I course. think that that was my motivation is just to connect with that. Mm -hmm. During the, um, during the, the beginning of the pandemic, I did a genealogy tree. Oh, did <laughs> so you? I also traced my roots back to on my mom's side all the way till uh, 1810. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I, I, uh, I have that same urge to figure out where my roots are. And, and then, so let's move uh, forward. When you came to San Francisco, at what age did you come here? Because you were born in El Salvador. Where did you live in San Francisco? So we came, uh, I was 12, mm. uh, and we uh, ended up living uh, in the outer mission, uh, right at the top of the hill, uh, the border with Daly City. Let's see. So we look here. So we're looking at Outer Mission yeah. right here? Yeah, right there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, my sister and I went to San Francisco Christian Academy, uh, you know, which is a, a small, small private school on a mission in Whittier. Um, and that's where we learned to speak English. <laughs> and it, we, we would take the 14 mission to school. There you go. It would drop us off right in front of the of the school. And I remember uh, the first week that I took the 14 mission, uh, I got on the bus and there was these two uh, cholas who got on uh -huh. um, and, you know, they were so cool, you know, back yeah. then. What was the style? They were, it was the 80s. So they had the blush, you know, and the Mary Janes and the, you know, eyeliner. I mean, they were so cool. And here I was with my trencitas, you know, I was just like <laughs> fresh off the boat. Right. And I remember one of them looking at her and looking at me like, mm -hmm. oh, look at her. You know, they were ashamed of me because mm -hmm. I. Because I don't know, I imagine that you know I looked like a cousin or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> un uncool cousin. <laughs> yeah, you know that cousin, the turf. <laughs> wow. So I aspired, you know, to be cool like them, but <laughs> didn't have it yet. What was it like for you to move to a whole different country with a different culture and language, mm -hmm. and then adapt? Yeah, it was traumatic. You know, it was traumatic yeah. leaving what we knew. 
Um, and, you know, we, we had a good life in El Salvador. Uh, so we, you know, my dad is an engineer. Mm. So we, um, you know, we had a nice house and, uh, you know, we had friends and everything was uh, so sudden, you know, that we ended up here. And my dad uh, and stepmother, like we survived by cleaning offices and delivering pizzas and, you know, all those jobs that immigrants do. So for my dad, it was really traumatic because he went from being an engineer uh, to, mm-hmm. to, you know, cleaning offices. So, you know, for his uh, psyche, it was yeah. difficult. Uh, there was a lot of violence in my house. Um, and yeah. and so we, we just adapted. My sister and I learned English quickly. And like so many kids of immigrants, we were the translators because the adults, took a little longer, you know, mm. so we were the ones who, when we went to the clinic, when we went everywhere, you know, my sister and I would, tr- we were the kids, but in a position of power, because we knew what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And pass me the phone, pass me the phone. Uh-huh. Exactly. And, and the forms, you know, all the forms. I remember very clearly going to get vaccines, you know, and my stepmom couldn't read the form. She couldn't understand what it said. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I remember reading and just telling her, oh, this is what you have to write, you know. Wow. And so, yeah, it kind of flips the yeah, power dynamic between I know. kid and adult. I, yeah. I just want to share with you that uh, Leslie Quintanilla is, is tuning in. She's also, she's a friend of mine I went to uh, college with. She's from El Salvador as well. Mm-hmm. And so she's just amazed by the family lineage of yours. And she wants to know where'd you fi- find all that info just quickly. So at first, uh, I have to tell you, it's taken years. So mm-hmm. I have, if I can tell you like the hundreds of hours <laughs> that I've, you know, yeah. spend on this stuff, you, you'd think I was crazy. But um, so I did DNA testing, first of all. Um, so at, there is a um, t- there's a uh, company named Family Tree DNA that special you know I think their specialty is like Jewish uh, genealogy so mm-hmm. I did that and then I did Ancestry.com um, and then uh, I have spent all of this time looking through newspapers birth certificates like all because it's a puzzle right like the the DNA gives you just part of the puzzle and then you have to right. like, look at all the other documentation. Yeah, great. Gracias. Thanks for answering that. Um, she will really appreciate it. And so middle school, you learn English quickly, you're translating for your familia, and then high school. Yeah. So what happened, you, you know, we came, we were not documented when we came. So mm. we we got really lucky, actually, because my dad, as I said, you know, we had connections. Um, and, uh, you know, we came with a tourist visa. Uh, and then overstayed the visa, right? And so, uh, but because my dad was an engineer, he eventually learned to speak English and passed the engineering exams. Mm. Um, and engineering is one of those things, like, you know, there's always a demand. Um, and so in math is math, even if your English is not great, you yeah. know, it's yeah, like yeah. math is math. So he got a job as an engineer down in the peninsula in, in Redwood City. And we moved uh, to a um, part of Redwood City that fed into the Woodside High School. Um, school district, which is a really good school. And my dad did that intentionally because he wanted us to have a good education. But my sister and I were like, we were the only Latinas in that yeah. school. Yeah, Woodside is a very wealthy area. Um, it's That's why, you know, it's a good school. Uh, and um, so my sister and I, you know, they, later on, the they, they merged the district with East Palo Alto. And then they, you know, a bunch of uh, kids who were Latino and African-American from East Palo Alto went to Woodside. But when we were there, that was not the case. Like, you all we were, were like it. trailblazers. What, what was it like yeah. for you to have to 
explain what a Latino is, the, what, yeah. how People it's not People don't even know where El Salvador was. <laughs> I put it on the map. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it was, it was a crash course in race and class in America. Wow. For me, Woodside High School. And I, because, you know, I was a teenager, I tried so hard to be American. So mm. I, um, I went for cheerleading. I was in student government. <laughs> you know, I did everything. And I was a good student, you know, so I, you know, I kind of integrated. And so was my sister, my sister, Claudia, who is um, 18 months younger than me. Saludos to Claudia. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you were popular. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, best difference. I worked it. <laughs> I tried I tried to be popular. No, 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 but that's great. Uh, do you still keep in touch with uh, folks from your high school? I do. You know, my best friends from high school are still, you know, my friends. Um, and so, in fact, what happened, as I mentioned to you, there was a lot of uh, violence in my house. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the, the trauma of immigration and the stress, you know. Um, so I ran away. Uh, when I was a, a, you know, a junior in high school, uh, and uh, my best friend's family took me in, um, and that's how I was able to graduate from high school. Uh, wow. And those folks, uh, Lori and Angela Castellucci, <laughs> um, took me in, and they treated me like their daughter, you know. And I still, you know, they're still like parents to me, that's and uh, their daughters, you know, we're still all best friends. So, yeah. Was that? In uh, Woodside, Palo Alto mm -hmm. area? Yeah. Great. Yeah. For the city, yeah. And then uh, college, uh, where did so, you go? So I uh, spent some time at Kenyatta College, which is the community college there in Redwood City, and mm -hmm. then transferred to San Francisco State um, and uh, lived at uh, Mary Ward Hall at San Francisco State. It's one mm. of the dorms. It's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right I across know. from the golf course. In fact, it's so funny because uh, when my oldest daughter was in high school, and you know, they're vile when they're <laughs> yeah. teenagers, Locos. we were driving around there. She's like, Mom, do you feel like a loser still like living in the same place where you went to college? And I'm like, No, <laughs> San Francisco is the best place on earth. Why would I feel like a loser? That's funny. What a high schooler for sure. And then, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're, you then went to, get your master's degree in urban planning. Mm -hmm. Why urban planning? What piqued your interest in that field? And this was you know, at Columbia University, correct? Yeah. So this was, you know, later. So I took, there was a few years. I, mm. um, you know, I was working as an organizer. I got married. I had a couple of girls, you know, I had kids. And, and before I went to graduate school, I was young, you know, like mm. the Latina. I started <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I, um, my uh, now ex-husband uh, also was in school. We were both, you know, um, and he uh, was a doctor and he got uh, an internship uh, in the East Coast. And so we mm. ended up there with, with two babies. And wow. uh, while I was there, I was working as an organizer for the AFL-CIO as a union organizer, organizing uh, janitors, you know, taxi cab drivers, health, home health care workers. And I, you know, I loved, I loved being an organizer. Uh, mm -hmm. But in the place where we did lived, you, did Stanford, you get the, the organizer itch from family or just yeah, from sure. life? My mother, my mother, uh -huh. <laughs> all of my what, family. What would your mom say when she found, saw you organizing? Was I there, mean, was there any, any thoughts around it? Because, you know, I just personally, I know some folks who came from that background of like a civil war, they don't want sometimes the family members being involved in certain ways. 
like organizing? Yeah, no, my mom's hardcore. You know, my she's still alive. She was a teenage mom, so she's young. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's, you know, super left. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for my mom, it's like, yeah, we're still fighting, you know? <laughs> La lucha sigue, she says. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and so you were organizing. Uh, what was it like to live in the East Coast? Well, so it was really different. Where we lived at, you know, the Stamford Greenwich area, it's like a suburb of New York City. Um, it is very similar to San Francisco in terms of like the income disparity. Mm. Um, and housing is like, it was the top issue, just like it is here. And so we were organizing workers, getting them better, you know, wages, but they still couldn't afford the rent. So it's a very similar situation as it is here. So we uh, started fighting as unions on affordable housing issues. Um, mm. And uh, we were trying to get inclusionary zoning uh, there. Um, and so what happened was that, you know, since I was a community organizer, I was negotiating with all these developers and it was all guys. And I, here I am, you know, and they'd be like, no, we can't afford that, you know, and I'd be like, yes, we can, you know, but I didn't know what I was talking about. And we, we won that campaign, but not yeah. because I understood the land use issues or the, you know, pro formas. It was just because we were doing good organizing. But then I thought, you know what, I should go study up on this stuff because mm. nobody on our side really knew anything you know like the developers they they knew like all of the numbers and the financing and stuff and we were really kind of out you know out talked you right. know when it came to talking to elected officials and stuff and so i convinced my boss then jane mccallady to help me give me a scholarship from my employer to go to Columbia because Columbia is expensive and I yeah. had two babies and the husband was in school. So, you know, um, they gave me a scholarship to go study urban planning. Um, but, you know, from a labor perspective, I wanted to study land use issues from the perspective of workers and working class people. And that's what I did. And I studied uh, real estate in the real estate department. It was all like guys from Wall Street and me. Mm. <laughs> But that was the most useful thing, you know, because I could now I could read a pro forma and understand, you know, like what the interest rate was on the mortgage and all of that stuff. And it was really, really useful. And so um, I wrote my master's thesis on union pension fund investment in affordable housing, which, um, you know, I still like it's my dream that in San Francisco, we will do that once again. We did that at some point and we haven't in decades. Um, but I do think that that's part of the solution to creating affordable housing for working class folks is to, you know, do different things than we've done. In, I, you know, in the last I, few years. I also know that uh, you worked uh, for the Mission Economic um, Development Agency, MEDA. Mm -hmm. um, is that where you first came to apply some of the the knowledge and tools that you gained from Columbia or, or no. were you also involved in other spheres? Yeah. So, you know, after I graduated from Columbia, I worked for a nonprofit developer, you know, uh, in, in Connecticut um, doing, you know, lending for affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved back to San Francisco, uh, I went to work for Gavin Newsom. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was the director of homeownership programs at the mayor's office of housing. And my job was to create, oh, there we go. Uh, those, are, those are all of the Latinos. <laughs> the only Latinos. <laughs> yes. No, we need not that we need many, not wider. that many. <laughs> but that's yeah, that was all us. Mm -hmm. And some of them didn't work for him directly because you can mm. see there's our treasurer, Jose Cisneros. Sí, you know? right 
So yeah, no, these are good times. So uh, my job was to administer and to create new programs uh, for homeownership for low income folks. So the inclusionary BMR program, and then we created um, a program for teachers, one for police officers, you know, it just, um, it was, it was a, a good time in terms of thinking about new creative ways to get things done. And I hope that we get back to those times because we haven't created much new. Uh, and I think that that's part of, um, you know, like our lack of progress is that we have to be creative. You know? I, and then like now, well, you were just formerly the president of the San Francisco Planning Commission. Maybe a critique is that it, it the process is slow to oh, yeah. get to get uh, <laughs> developers to build. What are what can you counter that that argument and say that there is something positive of the way that this process is 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 implemented here in San Francisco? Yeah, so I think that San Francisco does an outstanding job in um, giving people a chance to get involved in what happens around us, you know? Um, not that, you know, necessarily the processes have give people power to actually mm. do stuff, but there is a lot of uh, opportunities for people to know what's going on. Um, and so I, um, you know, that's good and bad. Uh, right. Yeah, because uh, for example, if you are an affordable housing developer, and it takes you four years to build something, you have to keep paying that mortgage for four years and, and, and people need housing, right? So um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that like all systems, sometimes those who have more um, resources, you know, can, can keep up and right. fill out all the forms and all that stuff. And that would be my criticism is that oftentimes at the planning commission who we heard from uh, was not so much communities and folks who were most affected. It's folks who can pay, you know, the $500 lawyer of course, <laughs> of course. for their behalf. Yeah, no, and why, I... That's why I wanted to do it, you know, because I felt like people like us don't often have, you know, a seat at the table there. Yeah, and it was great to see you there. I remember uh, giving public comment, and and just your presence made me feel that I belong there. I belong in City Hall. I belong. Uh, my voice uh, was welcome. So thank you uh, for 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 your service. Um, but I want to remind people that we met through different circumstances, not at City Hall. Um, actually, dancing. We went to a dance rehearsal. But I want to talk about that. You know, because I know that it's a big part of your life, and. And, and particularly Carnaval. Can you tell me about your experience in Carnaval in San Francisco and what that means yeah, to you? Sure. So I, you know, dance is a very important part of my life. Nah. Uh, physically, but also for my spirit. Uh, you know, my yeah. girls, my daughters joke around that, you know, it's like church to me. Nah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of similarities, I think, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like there's got a spiritual component, a community component, and um, also, you know, like a, a, just a mythology, you know, around uh, Samba and Afro, um, you know, Latino uh, dance form. Yeah. So, um, but I, the first time I danced, I met um, Mary Dollar uh, mm, when I was like 
Yeah, 19 or 20. Yes, here we go. <laughs> As Great I was, photo, by the way. Thank you. Can, you, can mm-hmm. you explain uh, uh, just real quick uh, your, your, your uh, regalia? Because it mirrors what you see right over here as well. Yeah, that's right. Is that the carnival poster? (laughs) I think you look like the carnival poster. Yeah. So I think if I'm not mistaken, this was 1995. All right. That was carnival 95. And um, so I was a Bayana, as you can see. (laughs) Bayana Um, uh, Bayana is a traditional um, comparsa that um, represents. you know, fertility and motherhood. It's the mothers, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. ones that 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 um, have that energy. Um, and so, uh, yeah, no, it was great fun. <laughs> and, you, and you did this with a which group under Mary it, Dollar? Yeah, it was Samba do Corazao. Yeah. Yeah, and my sister and I were both in that group, so it was great. We we did that together. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, Josephine Morada Ortiz was yes. there too, so she danced with us that year. Uh, she had that costume too. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a great photo and it brings back, I can assume a lot of memories. Um, and so what does carnival mean to your, like your family? Cause yeah. I know you do this as a family. It's not yeah. just yourself, right? Yeah. So, you know, after that year I met Carlos Aceituno and uh, Carlos, you know, was my teacher uh, and my friend. Um, mm. And I also, you know, because he was Guatemalteco, you know, pe- so a lot of people who didn't know him thought he was Brazilian, but he was from right. Guatemala, yeah. And um, just loved his, uh, just take on life uh, and particularly his philosophy about youth development, because he definitely was a youth developer and saw, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how important it is for youth to have that connection to art, into culture, into community. And so I was very much drawn to um, what he was doing and talking about um, and got involved with with uh, Fogo in that way. Um, and, you know, I had kids and um, we are a pretty artistic family. We like to dance and to paint and stuff. But that was always my dream is to have my girls dance with me. So all three of them, all three of them danced in Carnival and grew up in Fogo uh, dancing. And that was also a blessing because they were part of the community and had, um, you know, that connection. So my two older girls, my my ex-husband is um, of Caribbean descent. He is, uh, you know, Jamaican St. Vincentian. Um, and so for them, it was also like really important to be in this, you know, Afro-Latino group to have that connection to um, the Orishas and the Western African uh, culture form. And so and you, you're still dancing with Fogo to this day, correct? Um, no, actually, because, uh, you know, I was, I've been the director of the Jamestown Community Center for the last six years. Uh, yeah. And we merged with Local Bloco. Correct. So, so I got to do local local. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so for the past uh, five years, uh, I've danced with local local. Uh, Tell so my my little girl, my littlest, uh, Aida, who had always been with Fogo. Uh, when we started dancing with local local, she was like, she was like, Mom, we can't abandon our community of Fogo, <laughs> you know. But but now she's definitely a local local girl because she yeah. she she's taken up stilt walking. Oh, uh, which, yes. yeah, Fogo doesn't have, but Loco Bloco does. And so she's, she's really into that. She's good at it. 
tell me about your experience as the executive director of Jamestown because, um, and then the progression, because like you said, um, local local merged or Jamestown merged with local local. But tell us about the programs that, that you uh, led yeah. and the people you serve. So, you know, I got to Jamestown. It was, um, it was kind of a, a outlier, right? Because I'm a housing, planning, <laughs> develop, you know, economic development yeah. person. And so what happened is that, you know, when I was at MEDA, we applied for a grant from the Department of Education to provide support to youth in the Mission District. It was the Mission Promise neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was one of the authors of that grant proposal. And we just got like, you know, it's like $6 million a year. It was big money. Um, wow. And it, it involved uh, 26 different nonprofit agencies in the mission, uh, along with the school district to provide support to kids at Chavez and Buena Vista Horace Man, and, you know, all those schools. And so um, that's how I met the folks at Jamestown. And they, their executive director was leaving. And they didn't, they hadn't, they couldn't recruit somebody because they were, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. (laughs) And I just fell in love with them. The woman who was the uh, president of the board, Betty Pazmino. Of course, I know Betty. Saludos to Betty. So Betty was like, well, and I said to her, I don't know anything about youth development. She's like, well, you don't need to know that stuff because we know that stuff. What what you need to bring is like fundraising, you know, government relations, organizational Mm. development. So she was a little bit right, not totally, but um, I fell in love with Jamestown, the way they do things, you know, in the community. Uh, It was just deeply youth development based. And it's all about the kids. It's about supporting their success you know not like uh with like a culturally um relevant lens uh most of the staff at jamestown 85 percent of the staff were former students so they're all kids from the mission that you know went to school got got it together and now are leading for the next generation and it's such a beautiful thing and so uh we had uh, you know jamestown operates all these after school programs um, and we had hired local bloco to do the art component. And we just had such similar, you know, mission, vision, values, and culture that it made sense to merge. Uh, mm-hmm. First for, for survival, because it's hard for small nonprofits, you know, but also just to, to kick it up a notch in terms of the programming. So um, I've, I've really enjoyed, I enjoyed that. For people out there, though, when they hear mergers, whether it be nonprofit or companies, um, what are what you know what are some of those of the challenges? Because even though the two organizations, you know, they 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 complement them each other so well, you know, w- what are the some of those challenges to finally have it realized? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's there's the technical aspects which are difficult, right? You mm-hmm. have to go to this secretary of state and you hire a lawyer and you have to do all that stuff right budgets contracts and all stuff and then there's the culture of the organization each organization had deeply felt identity name culture and so we had to work through all that we actually spend like three years uh in this process we we it was a full merger so it wasn't like you know like somebody took over a program we uh disbanded the organization and made a new organization the board of directors joined both boards so we didn't lose any one person it was you know all together and then the staff too you know so uh, it just it took a lot of processing and talking and you know working and making agreements but you know it, it happened yeah and you know it's not like it's done because every day, you know, I think they're still t- 
trying to figure out, you know, what the next step is, but, but so far so good. Yeah, no, you did an excellent job. Um, I know that you are now uh, transitioning or you've transitioned out of- Oh, I've uh, transitioned out altogether. You've transitioned out Yeah, altogether. and then Jenny Jupiter-Jones, who was the executive director of Local Bloco, she actually left before I did. So now, now they're on their own. <laughs> Got, uh, yeah, it, and, and it happens. Everyone yeah. learns how to fly in their own way. And so now you've transitioned into running for supervisor of District 7. I want to pause a little bit and show people where District 7 is. Just, you know, because some folks may not be uh, fully aware where it's located. I personally, I remember District 7, so I, I used to go to uh, West Portal. I went to Lowell High School, so sometimes I would stop by West Portal and 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 hang out with some of friends, colleagues from, from high school. So I know District 7 from there. And also Ocean, Ocean, Ocean uh, Avenue. So, but real quick here, can you show us where we're looking at when we speak of District 7? Yeah, so starting at all the way to the ocean, so the Pacific Ocean, see where Lakeshore is? Yes. Okay, so uh, Lakeshore and uh, Stonestown, Ingleside, Terraces, that whole area, all the way to Sunnyside. And then if you go north, you know, Mount uh -huh. Loma, Midtown Terrace, Forest Knolls, uh, all of that is District 7, you know, Inner Parkside. And then it, it, it encompasses most of the Inner Sunset. There's a little sliver uh, next to the park that belongs to District 5, but, but most of it is in District 7. So it's big. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, huge. It's I, I was just mm -hmm. also like reading and just it's one of the largest districts in yeah. San Francisco. Um, you know, like you said, some some areas or, or, or um, spaces to highlight are Park Merced. You said Lake Merced, mm -hmm. SF State, City College and Laguna Honda, just to name a few. Yeah. And then me, UCSF. Mm -hmm. UCSF. And UCSF. Yeah. So wow. three of the most important educational institutions are here in District 7. With so many different, well, first it's it's large, and with so many neighborhoods, uh, and you running as as supervisor for this district, what do you have to take into account, and how do you engage all the neighborhoods? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, uh, I mean, first I've uh, lived in this neighborhood for a decade, right? And my kids okay. all went to school here, so I had a daughter who uh, attended Commodore Sloat Elementary mm. School another that went to Lake Wilmerding, another one that went to Lowell. Nice. Oh, really? <laughs> so, yeah. Lowell yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, those are all different neighborhoods, right? And, mm -hmm. and very, very diverse. I very mean, diverse. Ingleside, Sunnyside are very different than, you know, Golden Gate Heights or Forest Hill. Um, but, you know, uh, I think that there's strength in that diversity, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, San Francisco, there's still that like old OG San Francisco in D7, you know, people yeah. who, whose parents came from Italy, you know, whose grandparents, you know, uh, had a restaurant on West Portal. Uh, and then there's, you know, newer San Franciscans, a lot of folks uh, who are second generation Chinese. There's a, in my neighborhood in Ingleside, uh, there are a lot of African American homeowners mm -hmm. because this was one of the first neighborhoods to be integrated. And so it is incredibly diverse. Uh, it is now 28% Asian, mostly Chinese, uh, about 12% Latino. 
Wow. Um, and then there's like a little bit of everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Ocean Avenue has a very different flavor than West Portal or Portola or the Laguna Honda area. Um, but I, I gotta say, I love it here. Um, and, and sometimes people from the east side of town, you know, they kind of think they know us, but they don't really know us. No, 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 <laughs> we don't. And I, I, I'm, I'm full proof of it. You know, yeah. I, I, I like Ocean Avenue. I, I love the, the feeling of the, uh, the mom and pop shops, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I used to get my cafecito there. Uh, and so I have a lot to explore first and foremost, yeah. but I want to talk about the times we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're, you're running at a very pivotal moment in the history of the nation, but let's just speak about San Francisco with COVID. And there's speaking of a lot of these local merchants and pop, mom and pop shops, like what type of actions or policies do you foresee yourself, you know, granted, you know, crossing fingers, right? You, you, you become supervisor that you would have to implement. Uh, you know, Rodrigo, I am attracted to uh, just taking on problems and getting stuff done. So, like, mm-hmm. if you look at, like, every job I've ever had, like, at Jamestown, at Meda, at the Mary's Office of Housing, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, here's a mess. And, and I love <laughs> just like, okay, let me fix it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, in a real way, right? What are the steps? Let's organize people because I'm an organizer. Let's organize it. Let's get it done, you know. And so that's kind of how I'm seeing this. And like I said to you, I love San Francisco, deeply love it. Uh, and I'm grateful for what it, was, it has given me. And uh, I always remember there's this story that um, at, right after the 1906 earthquake, you know, where everything was destroyed and the fire destroyed everything. Right. One of the things it destroyed was um, the um, Bank of Italy, you know, AP Giannini's bank that mm. later became Bank of America. Bank of America. Mm-hmm. And there's a story that uh, AP Giannini went into the vault. Everything had burned, you know, but there was still like some gold that he was able to salvage from the, from, you know, the room mm-hmm. where they kept it. Yeah. And like, Two days later, after the fire, he set up a, a board out on the street uh, and started lending it to small business owners with, you know, the gold that he had salvaged from the fire. And I just, I love that story because wow. it just represents the San Francisco spirit. You know, like, of course. shit happens, you know, yeah. but we are still going to, like, be out there and invest in the future, right? And so I am looking around in this race. There is a lot of uh, just, like, negativity you know, and fear, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, we have a, a terrible homeless epidemic. Um, there is, there's a plague, there's fires, there's like terrible things that are happening around us. And yet I also see um, a lot of change and hope. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like we are living in a time where uh, our the youth are questioning how we've done things. So Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too movement, all of these, uh, the environmental movement, you know, we are sort of facing a a future that is uncertain because the things that we have been doing so far aren't working. And some folks see it as, oh my goodness, everything's falling apart. It's so terrible, you know, and be angry about it. And I'm the person who like is the opposite. Like I see the value that looking at things differently brings, you know, we can turn this moment into that APG Anini, you know, let's just put out our last little nugget of gold and invest in our future. Because, you know, uh, the, the love that we have for each other, for the community, for our town, 
will take us to that next step. And we don't quite know what that is yet, but I do know that if we invest in each other, in our small businesses, in our cultural institutions, in mm-hmm. what makes our neighborhoods strong and our people strong, I know that we'll pull through because we've always done that, you know, of course. Uh, yeah. through through fires, through the HIV epidemic, through, through earthquakes. earthquakes, everything. San Francisco's always stuck in our spirit. You know, we'll pull through. And every district's different, right? I mean, uh, we collectively um, are are fighting uh, towards equity or equality, however that may, um, what that means to certain communities. At, in District 7, what are some of those pressing issues that you foresee having to uh, uh, take on? Mm-hmm. I think... I don't know that District 7 is different from other districts. I think okay. the manifestations are different because we're, mm-hmm. you know, um, our, our issues are, are a little bit different. So mm-hmm. I think housing is still our biggest issue. Uh, and yeah. It looks yeah. different here because people are, are relatively wealthier. Uh, but when I look around me, um, there are a lot of folks who are seniors who are house rich and cash poor. Because, you know, 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. it was possible to buy one of these houses, you know, on a fireman's salary, teacher's salary, and that is just not possible anymore. So I see a lot of folks, you know, with a three-bedroom, four-bedroom house whose kids have left, you know, they don't need all that room, but they're stuck because they have no place else to go, you know. And so that is, it is a problem. How do we adapt uh, and also make room for, for the next generation because, you know, the middle class you know, uh, feeling of these neighborhoods that were full of, you know, teachers and firefighters um, is changing, you know, if we don't make room for that next generation. And people feel that loss because when they go to West Portal and Shaw's, which was like an institution, did you get candy at Shaw's? Yes, I did. I did. Well, Shaw's just closed down, you know, they couldn't make it anymore. Yeah. And so when, when, when those institutions just can't survive because, you know, the population is changing, it is, does create a sense of loss in folks. And in that respect, it's no different than what I heard from, you know, peeps in the mission. Of course. You know, that sense of, of loss of, of the businesses that we knew, like the things that the people that we knew, the families who were always here. And so uh, one of my top priorities is to uh, make sure that we have affordable housing opportunities here for families, Mm -hmm. childcare, uh, you know, open space, you know, things that, you know, will, will make sure that the next generation can live in this neighborhood. Um, and so one of the things is building housing, but the other thing is also uh, making sure that people can buy into the homes that are already here, you know, through maybe, uh, you know, uh, accessory dwelling units or some way to pass mm-hmm. on, you know, from one generation to another. Great. Um, thank you. I have, I have a question. This is my, my little curious self. I'm born in San Francisco, raised, so I see this and this looks, it's normal for me. But someone from out of state or someone outside the country, they see is in Chinese uh, on top. What does it say? It says Mu <laughs> And that's, that's very particular to San Francisco. And my yeah, that's my what, Chinese name. Why does it happen? How did you get how did you get baptized? <laughs> but, you know, I ran for office four years ago for the Democratic Central Committee. Uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, uh, I had a friend who, uh, you know, helped me 
with this name, we get mm -hmm. a Chinese because it's, it Muyi Ga sounds like Mel Gar, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It means the characters actually means um, mean, uh, righteous mm. uh, and also uh, sweet plum. Oh, uh, which is yeah. So it's a good name. <laughs> it is a great name. <laughs> but also, you know, almost thirty percent of the folks in my district are Asian, and the majority, the great majority, are Chinese. Um, and I, uh, you know, through the planning commission, through Meta, I have worked with the Chinese community. Um, you know, we have a lot of things in common. I'm an immigrant, you yeah. know, and yeah. so uh, the the stories of of coming to this country and translating for your parents and you know those those resonate across immigrant groups and so I have um the honor to have been endorsed by supervisor Norman Yi who is yes. the supervisor for the district now uh who is Chinese um speaks Chinese and uh, I've also been endorsed by Gordon Marr and Sandy Lee-Fewer the other two Chinese supervisors um and uh the Rose Pack Democratic Club yeah <laughs> um, so, uh, Rose Pack. <laughs> yeah so um, anyway, that's no, uh, and, and I think it's important for folks when we're talking about real city ambassadors, the city you represent, like this is very, um, very telling of San Francisco because there's a strong Chinese community here. You know, I went to school in elementary school in Chinatown. And so the Chinese culture is near and dear to my memories, my experience here in San Francisco. So I just wanted to ask, and I was curious. Um, you know, I, I also think, Rodrigo, because you've seen me in the planning commission, you know, mm -hmm. and the struggles that we've gone through in terms of um, displacement and gentrification, um, those uh, struggles are commonly held, you know, between the um, Chinese community, the Latino community, the African American community in San Francisco. So I think it's really important for us to uh, leverage each other's strengths. Yes. Uh, to make sure that policies that get implemented protect those communities uh, against displacement, but also build those communities in terms of our cultural heritage and what we bring to the city because people come. To Chinatown, to the mission for a reason because exactly. we're fun. We are. <laughs> we're fun and we have, a, you know, we give this city flavor uh, and do. our stories, you know, are woven into the fabric of our city. So we got it. We got to stick around, you know. Mm. Um, Before we close this wonderful conversation, I have three questions that I want to keep asking everyone that I interview. The first one is restaurants. Do you have a favorite restaurant in San Francisco? And which one is it? Uh, you know, I have several. several. Um, one of the ones that has been my all-time favorite um, actually announced that they were closing this week, which broke my heart. Um, and it's called Tong Kiang. Um, it is out on Clement. It mm. is a Chinese restaurant, but it's uh, Hakka, which is the uh, the gypsies of China. You know, it's uh, it's been mm. there for 30 years. Um, and so uh, they're closing because of COVID, um, unfortunately. Um, I would also say another- Is that on Geary? There was one on Geary and there's one on Clement. Yeah. Uh -huh. But it's the same owners. Yeah. Same I owners. I see. Um, the other one that um, is my- uh, uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, the My other favorite uh, has to be um, uh, San Jalisco. Ah, Remember, it used to be yeah. called Los Jarritos <laughs> yeah, I, uh, on South NS. I love that so much. Right Particularly love their pozole and handmade tortillas. You just cannot eat it. <laughs> mm. um, 
And then I would say also up there uh, would be Restaurante Fina Estampa. You know, it's a Peruvian. Where is that? How do you spell yeah. Fina Estampa? Fina Estampa. Uh, there you go. Okay. Uh, well, let me see. SF. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the original Fina Estampa was on mission, and I want to say 17th, and they just got bigger and bigger, and now there's a couple. Of, I see. Um, yeah, yeah. And in terms of streets, do you have any streets in particular that are near and dear to you in San Francisco? Well, 24th Street, I of love. Um, uh, I also, I love Ocean Avenue, believe it or not. Uh, and I, you know, Ocean Avenue has really changed uh, since I moved here. Um, and um, it's becoming more and more lively. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that I am going to be really focused on as supervisor. Uh, we're adding more housing, but Ocean Avenue can be that corridor between City College and San Francisco State. That and Beachburg. Yeah, but you know, to, to meet the needs of the neighborhood, but also of the students and those two institutions that are so important to our city. Um, I want to see an Ocean Avenue that's like thriving, full of art, you know, with businesses that, you know, are, are doing well and feeding the neighborhood. So I'm excited about that. See, see, and, and, and I look forward to, um, I, I think you introduced me to, to a gentleman uh, from your district who wants to like create those bridges from yeah. Ocean Avenue to all, to all of San Francisco, including the Mission District. So I look forward yeah, to that. I think that's uh, Maurice, Maurice Rivers. <laughs> yeah, is that Maurice? Saludos a Maurice. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, and just lastly, I just want to say um, gracias. You know, thank you for taking this time. I know right now you are in the thick of campaigning. And what is that, just before we end, like what is that like for you, given the circumstances, given the, the fires? You're still out and about. I'm still out and about, uh, you know, being careful because I have a family and I want to protect them, you know, uh, but I'm doing a lot of this kind of stuff. We are living in a time that, um, you know, we we have uh, technology, we have Zoom, we have podcasts, we have all kinds of things that were yeah. impossible 10 years ago. So that is a, a silver lining because I find that it actually reaches a lot more people than mm. I could reach, you know, if I was like one, one by one. But I'm also, you know, I'm really motivated, Rodrigo. So I'm like working really hard. Um, this district has never had a woman as a representative. Um, and that, you know, is motivating because I'm the mother of three. Um, and incredibly enough, San Francisco has only elected one Latina in its entire history. Who is that and Latina? That was Susan Leal wow. in mm. 1994. Mm. So that was a long oh, time ago. Yes, <laughs> and not one since. And so uh, two Latinas have been appointed to the board, um, Alicia Becerril and uh, Cristina Olagi. Remember Cristina? Mm, sí, claro. They were... They were both appointed, but um, lost, you know, their seats uh, right. at, during election. And that bums me out, you know. Uh, you know, Christina's a dear friend, uh, and I worked on her campaign. And it bummed me out that we couldn't, you know, get her there to the finish line. So I'm, you know, running because I think it's important for all those little Latina girls <laughs> mm. all over San Francisco to know that, you know, we can do it. And, and, you know, we can work hard and we can get there and have a seat at the table, as you said. It's important to have a seat at the table. And so how can people support you? 
uh, well, go on my website, uh, misnamelgar.com, uh, and you uh, can find lots of volunteer opportunities if you want to just, you know, make some phone calls or hang up a sign, you know, all, all of those things are possible. That's Thank wonderful. You. Gracias, Mirna. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Thank I appreciate you. you for being a real city ambassador and Thank for, for always giving back to us and, and, and supporting us and giving us really tools so that we can all empower ourselves. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the work you do in your life story. Así que I am, I'm cheering for you. I'm rooting for you and uh, praying for all of us. Thank and everything you. goes well. Thank Saludos. you, Rodrigo. Bye, Bye, mi gente. Take care, everybody. Real City Ambassadors. Ciao. Ciao.